What a day. Yesterday. Uh, I just had a really good day, even though I was uh, soaking wet. Uh, it just didn't matter. I'm not kidding. I just didn't even realize it uh, until I had gotten home. And I had taken off a hooded sweatshirt that I was wearing out in Bithlow. And um, I laid it on the bed. And then later that day, got a little chilly and decided, well, I'll just put my hoodie back on. And it was this sopping wet mess of water. And I realized, wow, uh, see, I'm sort of what they call a um, wimp. And so I get cold really easy. And uh, somehow the Lord just kept me warm. Uh, it, was, it was really amazing, uh, his grace and the opportunities that we had out there, uh, the opportunities at Palm Valley. Uh, God is so gracious to us to give us these, uh, these opportunities. And, and it is what we are here to do. This is what is so exciting about this. Uh, I wanted to remind you of uh, where we're going, what we're doing as a church, why we do things like our Saturday of service, as well as equipping each other to do things, acts of mercy, uh, sharing the gospel in our neighborhoods and things like that. Uh, we, we believe that the scriptures call those of us who have put our faith in Christ to live a life shaped by the cross of Christ. And the way that we talk about it here is a life of gospel transformation, that he is, by the power of his Holy Spirit, through his word, uh, he is making us more like his son. He is... Uh, conforming us to the image of his son. That's gospel transformation. And we like to talk about gospel proclamation. That's where we, uh, having been transformed and, and, and on a process of being transformed, that equips us to proclaim to people why our lives are changing, why we worship Christ as king, that we would use our words to share the gospel. That's gospel proclamation. And we, we like to talk about gospel demonstration, that Christ also calls us to go out to be salt and light, to minister to people who are in need, to demonstrate the compassion and the mercy and the love of God in Christ, which is uh, a lot of what we were doing yesterday, showing uh, some some people who do not yet know, uh, some of whom do know uh, the love of God in Christ and just were able to feel his love by our presence there. Uh, amazing. And then, and we see in Scripture that as Christ transforms us and equips us to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel, that God multiplies uh, the number of people who are walking with His Son, who are experiencing salvation in this life and, and knowing that they will experience the full salvation that is to come. Uh, so that is uh, an amazing thing that we've seen in Scripture and we are doing as a church, following Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And here's what's so amazing about this. I love this. This passage is so rich. And it's going to show us, we're going to see something really amazing here. That in the cross-shaped life, as we follow Christ into the world, in the cross-shaped life, gospel proclamation plays a key role in gospel transformation. As we are sharing with others what we know of Christ, Christ is working on us, that our reasoning for proclaiming the gospel, for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world is not only for the sake of the lost who need to hear it so they can have what we have in Christ, but also because while we're doing it, (laughs) he's at work in us too. 
Isn't that amazing? So let's look at this. I want to talk about three things today. Uh, we'll talk about making Jesus known. And then I want to talk about a couple kingdom principles that we see in the parables that Jesus tells in this passage. Things that are very helpful, very encouraging uh, for those of us seeking to share the gospel with people. Um, and then we will talk about the kingdom and the cross. How do those principles help us understand the cross a little better? So those are the three things if you're making an outline. Uh, making Jesus known, some kingdom principles, and the kingdom and the cross. If you're new with us, we like to keep our Bibles open and just kind of walk right through the text. So hopefully your Bible's still open. If it's not, you can open it up real quick. No one's looking. Um, keep your Bibles open. Let's walk right through this passage. Uh, first, we're going to talk about making Jesus known. And here's what we want to want to grab onto real tightly here. It is in making Jesus known to others that he makes himself even more known to us. Okay? It is in our making known making Jesus known to others, that he is making himself even more known to us. Okay, let's see where we uh, draw that from. Looking at verse 21, starting in verse 21, first we want to just see that Jesus wants us to tell people about him. Okay, look at this, 21. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what he's doing here, he's still talking to his disciples. Remember last week, uh, he, was, he had gone away with his disciples from the crowd. He was explaining something to them in private. And we would imagine he's still speaking to his disciples in private at this point when he shares this with them. And really what he's doing is he's telling them that he wants them to tell the world about him. He does not want them to take what they've received and keep it to themselves. In the same way that you don't light a lamp in your house and then cover it up, no, you let it shine so that everybody can see things. It's, it's the point of bringing a light in. And so what he's talking about is the point of God, the Father, bringing in Christ, the light of the world, is so that people would hear. He's talking about the fact that last week, if you remember, uh, the, the passage talked about Christ explaining that they had been given, we have been given, the secret of the kingdom of God. And that secret is that Christ is the Lord, that he is the Savior, that we all desperately need his saving work on the cross to be reconciled to God. So he is giving them that secret, and now he's saying, I want you to let that secret out. The secret of the kingdom of God should be the worst-kept secret in the history of the world. That's what he's saying, that he wants everyone to hear this, that his followers would be the ones proclaiming this to the world. And he talks about hidden things. Hidden things in verse 22 there. there. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. What he's talking about here is the reality that God is well aware that the truth about him, his mercy, his love, his kindness, his holiness, is hidden from the world. But he doesn't want that to be that way. He wants the world to know. He wants the world to know through Christ that he is good, that he is kind, that he is merciful. And now is the time. This is the time that the world is to be made known of the secret. God knows that it's hidden and now he's bringing it out in Christ. It's like when you hide a, a, a gift from somebody. You allow it to be hidden because you know at the right time you want to bring it out. Brothers, it's close to Valentine's Day. 
friendly reminder from your friendly neighborhood pastor here. Now, when you when you buy something for your wife, even if it's like a bag of candy, which is what all I usually do. Um, I mean, hey, it proves I love her, right? Um, but here's the thing: when you when you buy it, if you buy anything, whether it's a thousand dollars or you know a dollar, whatever it is, you buy, you're buying something. You have this gift that you want her to have, and you normally you don't come home and put it on the kitchen counter with a note that says "Stay away until the 14th." You know what I'm saying? Like you put it somewhere. You know that it's hidden, and then at the right time, you bring it out, right? And she says, you do care. You do love me. I feel this. You know, I, you, you have this connection in that moment. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is that time. This is where God is bringing out the greatest gift that he has ever given, his own son. And that's the secret of the world. That Christ is king. That he's the greatest gift. And God is bringing him out for us to see. And so the disciples are to bring him, bring the news of him all over the world. That's what he's saying. If you have ears to hear, he's saying, hear this. This is what I want to happen. Jesus is saying, this is what I want to happen. That that the light of the world would be proclaimed over all the world. It's kind of the precursor to the Great Commission. That we would tell everybody the secret. He wants... You and me who know him to tell people about him. Why? Well, number one, obviously we know that his mission is to seek and save the lost. So we know that he wants us to share the gospel so that people who don't know the truth about Christ can hear it and have an opportunity to respond. But here's what's so amazing about this passage. That's not the only reason. He also wants us to be telling people about him because of the effect it also has on us. Look at um, 24. 24. We're going to see here that you, we learn more about him as we teach people about him. Look at this. 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. This is, in the Greek, it's actually pretty interesting sentence. Because it's the same word in, in different forms three times in a row. So Jesus literally says, uh, with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And he uses this word in a couple different ways. When he first says it, the measure, he's talking about, it's like a noun. okay? And then it will be measured to you. And the, the measure with which you measure, it'll be measured to you. Those are verbs. And so this word can be kind of both a noun or a verb, sort of like Google. You know, like you can go on Google or you can Google something. And it's the same thing. And so, in other words, what he's saying here is uh, with the measure, with the amount that you have, that you know, uh, with, with the measure you measure out, with the amount you give out, okay, your understanding of Christ, with the amount of that that you give out, that you share with others, It'll be measured to you and, and still more will be added. In other words, it comes back. It's like, it's like when it comes back, as you give out what you know about Jesus, when it comes back, it's like there's more of it. It's like he is, as we are sharing the gospel, teaching people about him, it's like it comes back and we understand it better. We understand him even more. And see, the thing is, like we know this to be true because we know anybody who has taught anything knows that you really learn not by learning, by but what? Teaching. Isn't that amazing? That as we seek to teach people, to measure out what, what we already know, what's been measured to us, to others, 
we learn. Not just them. We learn too. He wants us to share the gospel not only for the sake of the lost people, but also for the found. And I think, and I'm not kidding, I think this is why I'm a pastor. Okay? Because God looks at his child and he says, I love this child. He is righteous in Christ. I have declared him to be righteous. I have forgiven him all his sins. I love him. I couldn't love him anymore if I tried, which is the way he feels about all of his children. But then he looks at me and he says, but he, this guy has a real hard time getting stuff through his head. And so I think I'm going to make him a teacher. Because that way, every week, he's got to get up and he's got to teach. And as he teaches, oh, now he gets it. And it's the same for you. You know what? When we're in here, it's not me teaching you. It's God teaching us. And sometimes, I bet you, I learn even more than anybody else. Okay? And I need it more than anybody else. I'm the most gospel-desperate chief of sinners in the room. And I'm not kidding when I say that. I know that about me. Okay? So I'm not here because I'm a good person. I'm here because God chooses to use the foolish things. Okay? But the reality of that is true. That as you and I seek to take what we know about Christ and measure it out to people who don't know those things, it comes back thicker, sweeter. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing to me. The Holy Spirit uses our efforts. He not only empowers our efforts to tell people this good news, but then he also multiplies it as it comes back to us, deepening our understanding of Christ. Those of you who have shared the gospel, you know that some of the sweetest moments in your life with Christ are right after you've delivered that good news. You know what I'm talking about? So, then Jesus says something that can sting a little bit. Uh, he's definitely hitting on our human responsibility. God is sovereign and in control, but we are responsible to obey our king, to listen to his words, to pay attention to what we hear and to use it. Uh, not that we would lose our salvation, but that the gospel can, when we don't apply it, it can lose some of its effect on our life and we're not benefiting from this good news. Look at verse 25. Uh, in, in, in one way or another, he kind of says, Use it or lose it. Look at this. 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that's just this call from Christ to be saying, you know, apply what I'm teaching you. Use it. Apply what I'm teaching you. That's what Jesus is saying to us through this text, that we would hear what he says and apply those things in our life. Not only sharing the gospel, but all the things that we learn week by week, that we would be applying those things in our life because if we're not applying it it's not going to have an effect on us is it you know it's like it's like muscles faith is like a muscle and as we uh, apply what we've learned about the gospel and what we're called to what we've been forgiven of all these things as we apply these things it's like our faith is being worked out and you know that when you work out your muscles get bigger and when you don't work out they don't just stop getting bigger they actually shrink don't they Okay? It's kind of the same thing. Jesus is saying, apply this stuff so it's there when you need it. Apply what you're hearing from the inerrant and infallible word of God. Um, you know, do you know, did you know I can't speak Spanish? It's true. I can probably ask you where the bathroom is or a shoe store or something like that, but that's it. And you know that breaks my heart. Because, you know, we've realized now, we know from demographic studies that up to 30 to 37% of our neighbors around here speak Spanish. And I had four years of high school Spanish. And at the end of that high school Spanish, I could have at least said something. Um, But, you know, 
significantly more than I could now. And if I had kept up with it, if I would continued, right, guess what I would be? In a position to tell people the greatest news possible in their heart language. So I'm kicking myself, right, because I didn't use it and I lost it. And Jesus is saying, look, apply the gospel in every area of your life. Keep it fresh. Step out in faith. Use this stuff that he is teaching to us. So it is there for us so that we're working out those faith muscles so that when we need it there, it's there. So that when we hit those hard times where we're struggling with things very deeply, we've got these good, solid faith muscles on which we can continue to cling to Christ, right? So he's, he's calling us to apply what he's teaching, and he's calling us to teach what we know at the same time. That is, that is a sweet, sweet truth that uh, one of the ways we experience the richness and deepness of the gospel is by measuring it out to others, by hearing him calling us to be proclaimers. And then as we do so, we know that he is going to deepen our understanding of him. And so we want to be a church that focuses on and equips one another and stirs each other up to gospel proclamation. And I do want to say there's a whole lot of ways that we can share the gospel, okay? And I've said that. I also want to say that we are working hard behind the scenes to get things uh, in position so that we all get some good training, so that we're all capable of giving a basic gospel presentation, okay? We're working on that. It's coming. Remember, we're on a seven-year uh, plan. Now we're in six years left, so we've got plenty of time. We're, we're moving forward, right? As a church, together, we're all learning and growing together. Uh, but, you know, think about this. You already know enough to draw people to him. You do. I want you to think about your own testimony and the own effects in your life and how powerful that can be when you share that with somebody. Think about the power of the man who was blind and Jesus gave him sight and everybody wanted to know, how did this happen? What, what did you do? What did you say? How did this happen? And he says, a simple, sweet thing, irresistible to those who heard it. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. You and I can say, all I know is I, was, I felt like I was in chains and now I'm free. You and I can say, I felt like I was rejected and now I'm accepted. And those things about us, those little things or even the, some of the major things God has done in our lives are, are tools that we can use to open doors to begin to share the secret with people and tell them the greatest news they'll ever hear. And so, so Jesus calls us to share this news, to make the secret of the kingdom the worst kept secret in the history of the world. And then he gives this encouragement that is like, man, does he know us or what? Let's talk about these kingdom principles. Look, in, starting in verse 32. Uh, I'm sorry, 26. Verse 26. And he said, pause there. Uh, now notice that in the prior two sections it said, and he said to them. And then it said again, and he said to them. And now these two parables, it starts with, and he said. Which the scholars think that Jesus probably has now gone back and is speaking to the whole crowd, which is why he's back into parables like this. Okay, so he's still speaking to his disciples. They're hearing, but the crowd is hearing, too. But remember, he spoke in parables uh, to crowds, which is what we see in the last two verses. So and he said, 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how the earth by itself uh, the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle 
because the harvest has come. I can hear your pages turning. Spurgeon used to say, the sweetest sound for a pastor is the, the sound of Bible pages turning. And it's true. Okay, uh, here's what we see. Ready? God's word is automatic. This is absolutely amazing what Jesus is showing us here. The automatic work of the word of God. Let me tell you, let me you, uh, explain what I'm saying. Uh, look at verse 24 just real quick again. It says, pay attention to what you are hearing. And that word literally is pay attention. That word is literally see. So Jesus literally is saying, see what you are hearing. And that's why he's giving this picture that uh, we want to see here. We want to see what we are hearing. And he talks about the seed and the other, um, in the parable of the sower being the word. And so here we have this picture of, of the power of the word and the way that it works. It's one of the principles of the kingdom that God's word works automatically. And here's where we get that literally from the text. Look at verse 28. I love this. Uh, it's the, the two words by itself. You see those little two words there? By itself. That is one Greek word, automatos, which is where we get our word automatic. And what he's saying is that the, the word of God acts without instigation or intervention by another. It just works on its own. You sow that seed. You get that truth in front of a person, into their ears. And then it takes over and it does its own thing like a seed. Maybe you've seen a video like this where there's stop motion, where the, the seeds are just sitting there and nobody's doing anything. This, the farmer's not getting in there, cutting them open and like pulling the seeds out or anything. There's no action, no intervention. What's in the seed is the power and the information and all things needed for it to begin to just grow and have its impact and begin to fill the space that it is in. What an amazing picture. What an amazing picture of the automatic way that the Word of God works. It's automatic. Its power is within it, which means you and I don't have to be powerful. We have to deliver the most powerful thing ever in existence, the Word of God. This is so encouraging for those of us who are scared, for those of us who, who are, are you know, feeling like we're not confident. We don't know what to say. Guess what? You measure out what's been measured to you. God uses that Okay? You don't have to have a seminary professor's knowledge of the Bible. You don't have to be the greatest apologist in the history of the world. And apologetics is very important. And understanding these things in depth is very important. We should always be learning and growing. But I'm telling you, the Word of God works on its own. It's automatic. And it's powerful. Which means that you and I can feel confident. We're running around with the most powerful thing in existence. And we get to throw it and scatter it. What an incredible privilege. And what incredible encouragement for Jesus to show us the automatic, the power of the word of God. Does this mean that everybody that we tell about Jesus is going to believe? No. That was the, that was the point of the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. Okay, last week. Not everybody's going to believe, but those whom God is calling, when you sow that seed, it's automatic. It's automatic. Uh, you know, we, we get so scared about, I don't know what to say, I don't know, I'm not really good at this. And that's what Moses said when God called him and said, I want you to speak for me. And Moses says, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't speak so good, God. Uh, and God turns to him and says, this is a paraphrase, but I love it. He says, yeah, Moses, who made your mouth? He loves to use you and me who are afraid to do this. He loves to do that. Uh, he, because the word is automatic. The word has the power. 
Man, if we take this literally, we can share the gospel with somebody and then take a nap. I'm not kidding. Look at it again, right? The, 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 uh, the sower or the, the farmer, he sows the seed and then it says he sleeps, right? So I'm not suggesting that you tell somebody about Jesus and then say, excuse me, and lay down and take a nap. That might get a little awkward, but you could. And the reason is the power's in the word. It's automatic, okay? So that gives me incredible encouragement, and I hope and pray, and, and I'm sure it does for you too. It's automatic. Second kingdom principle that Jesus tells us, look at 30 through 32. Uh, this is amazing. Insignificant things become profoundly important. Things that seem insignificant and obscure become profoundly important. That's how God operates. That's part of the way his kingdom moves and goes. Look at uh, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Isn't it amazing that he doesn't choose to use the analogy of a um, like a mountain or a mighty cedar tree or a smashing hammer but just a seed just a little tiny seemingly insignificant seed that like mike said earlier you drop it and you're it's gone that's what he chooses to use to show us that that's how things work with god's kingdom that these seemingly insignificant things become profoundly important and which shows us that the, the influence of God's kingdom, God's will being done, this is spreading all over the world. This is something that will not stop. This is something that cannot be stopped. We are part of something that will not be stopped. Okay? This is such good news for you and me to know that the kingdom of God, especially when it seems insignificant in your life or in someone else's, it's on its way, right? It's on its way to be the dominant influence in our life. The dominant influence in our world. No matter what is happening around us, we know that the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. And it also gives us incredible encouragement about the picture of the nations in this passage. Uh, It's amazing. He's talking about this tree where the birds are coming. And all the scholars uh, believe that Jesus is alluding to Ezekiel 17, which is this great prophecy of this tree and all these different types of birds coming to rest in the branches and in the shade. Same wording. It's beautiful. And that's a prophecy talking about the nations coming in, all the different birds representing all the different people groups. That we are moving towards the day when all the nations, all peoples, all different types of people from all different nations come to the tree, come to Actually, the one who died on a tree to pay for their sins. So encouraging. And then eh, even more. Think about this. If that's true, if it's kind of a principle of the kingdom that God takes things that seem sort of insignificant and obscure and unimportant, and then he shows how they are profoundly important. Uh, Think about uh, what that says for our seemingly insignificant efforts in sharing the gospel with people Just like Mike talked about in the children's sermon, this kid invited him to his church. That's seemingly insignificant, right? Not in the kingdom. You know, there's two statues in um, Washington, D.C. 
that uh, if you've been there, you've probably seen at least one of them. You probably haven't even heard of the other. Uh, when you talk about them together, it actually shows a pretty uh, interesting story. One of them is the statue of General Ulysses S. Grant at the east end of the reflecting pool, if you've ever been there. Uh, it's this like, majestic depiction of the legendary general atop his war stallion. I mean, it's, it's powerful imagery. Uh, Grant, if you don't know, he was a very uh, important figure in the Civil War. His uh, military leadership was probably one of the decisive factors in the Civil War, ending the way that it did. So he's this uh, symbol of strength and courage and there's another statue in Washington, D.C., and uh, you, nobody really knows where it is right now. It's been moved eight times. It just keeps getting put in these little obscure places. It is of a man named Major General John Rollins. Who's that guy, right? John Rollins was Ulysses S. Grant's chief of staff. And uh, as the war broke out, Rollins knew something about Grant that not too many people knew. He had a terrible battle with alcoholism. And so Rollins says to Grant, you need to promise me that you'll stay away when you're on the battlefield. Stay away from the alcohol when you're on the battlefield. And Grant agreed. And then Rollins reminded him of that little promise throughout the war. That little insignificant thing. Seemingly, right? And what we can see now Historians say that if Rollins had not done that, then Grant wouldn't have been able to lead the army. He wouldn't even have been able to get in his horse. So that little insignificant thing we now see, oh, significance beyond our wildest imagination. And that's what you and I need to see, that God uses these seemingly insignificant things. Even our efforts sometimes seem to be insignificant. But they're not. I remember when... uh, a man that I didn't know very well at all asked me if he could do something sort of seemingly insignificant. He said, hey, can I call you and um, can we talk about the Bible together? I said, sure. And so he would call and he'd say, Matt, get your Bible. And I'd get my Bible and he'd say, why don't you turn to this book in this chapter? And I would turn to that book and that chapter and he'd say, why don't you read it to me? And I would read it to him. And then he'd say, what is that saying? And it was automatic. Automatic. What it was doing in me. What it does in people. It's unbelievable. And so that seemingly insignificant maneuver on that man's part is my father-in-law. Brought about one of the most defining moments of my life. So it's not insignificant, okay? Even Even our seemingly little Efforts are not insignificant. They are. They become profoundly important as we share the gospel. So this is good news. The fact of the automatic work of the word, the fact of the way that our seemingly insignificant things, uh, God makes them into very, very dominant and important things in the lives of people. This is encouraging. This is what we need. Jesus knows us. He knows we need this to get up and get out and tell people. And so he gives it to us. The simple call to measure out what's been measured to us. 
And you know what else? These two parables, these principles help us uh, fix our eyes on Jesus too and understand the cross uh, even better. Thinking about this, uh, lastly, just thinking about the kingdom and the cross. The kingdom, these principles, what does this tell us about Jesus? What is God saying to us here? That Jesus' death, uh, seemingly insignificant death of Christ, becomes the most important, uh, one of the most important events in history, doesn't it? That's what happens through faith. When you choose to believe in Christ, the seemingly insignificant death of a religious leader outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago becomes the most important thing in your life. It becomes the most dominant thing in your being, doesn't it? That's how things happen. And, and this reality of it being one of the most important events. Why? Because also along with that is his, not just his death, but his resurrection, his life, all of these things that are imputed to us. This is a reality that even when we think it's, it, the cross seems to be very insignificant of the, in the lives of the people that we're talking to, we give that automatic word and his cross looms larger and larger in their lives. The other point to think about uh, is the way that Jesus works automatically, that he worked automatically, that he is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God incarnate and his sacrificial death on the cross automatically saved those who believe this is the good news. This is the gospel that we are proclaiming. We're not out to tell everybody, hey, you need to behave this way and that way or that's it. That's not what we're saying. That's not our message. That's not good news. That's good advice. We have news to share. And that news is that when Jesus Christ allowed himself to be hung on a tree. That he was removing our sin, that he was transferring his righteousness to us, that he was giving us life, that he was reconciling us to God, that he was making things good and sweet between us, that he was saving us, that good news, and he did it automatically. We don't do anything. We don't contribute to that. He did it. The word of God works automatically. Without our intervention or instigation, that is such good news. And the people of this city don't know it. And the people in cities all over the world, they don't know that. And we get to be the ones that tell them about the Father's great love and the Son's great sacrifice and the Holy Spirit's ongoing work in our lives today. And the birds will come. They're coming. The birds are coming. The nations are going to be coming. To the king. Because of what he's done on the tree. Hey, you know it's only 11 weeks till Easter. Why do I say that? Easter is one of two times a year where non-Christians are far more likely to come to church if invited than any other of the times of the year. You can guess what the other time is. and It's not Flag Day. 11 weeks. Okay, if my math is right, somebody's out there calculating. I think it's 10, Matt. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's coming. And it's, I want to I challenge every one of us, myself included, that we would begin to seek to reach out to somebody in our midst. Paul says, make the best of every opportunity that we have. Who's he put you around? Who can you begin to sow seeds with? And then uh, we can... Uh, try to have a, a big invitation between now and Easter. And on Easter, maybe we'll have even more people than normal. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? And then what we're going to do on Easter Sunday and for the following weeks, we're going to start a five-week series uh, just talking about the difference between life uh, in Christ and outside of Christ. And so it's going to be a great opportunity for people who know very little about Jesus to come and just learn and get loved on by us and, most importantly, by God through the Holy Spirit. So, so are you up for a challenge with you and your life groups? Uh, talk about ways that you guys can begin to uh, sow seeds with people in your midst, in your areas, and then uh, maybe we'll see more people than normal here on Easter Sunday, and maybe we'll get to see that word working automatically within them, and maybe we'll even see the Lord God multiply his people. Wouldn't that be sweet? Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, we forget how powerful your word is. We forget how independently from us you have saved us. Um, would you drill the gospel down into the very, very depths of our hearts where we are hurting, where we need to know the gospel covers all of our shame, all of our guilt, that what Christ has done has paid for it all. Shame we carry over things we've done. Shame we carry even over things done to us, the way we've been hurt, the way we've been abused, the way we've been treated poorly. There's no shame now because of Christ. And we want to be a people that speaks that life-giving truth to people. And then we want your word to work as it as it does, to not return void, but to work automatically. And so we pray for your will to be done and your kingdom to come, and we pray for the gospel to advance in our hearts and in our city and in this world until the king returns and makes all things new. You are for us. Who can be against us? Give us courage and give us feet and move our mouths and our hands. For the glory of our King, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.